Well, good morning again, Oceanside Sanctuary. Welcome to our online service here on YouTube and Facebook. Today, I'm excited because we are starting a new teaching series here at the church. We've spent the last several weeks talking about, about what it means to be spiritual and visiting several passages in the book of Acts. And what has naturally, I think, come out of that is not just a sense of what it means for us to be spiritual human beings as Christians, although that was certainly the point of that teaching series. But as we wrapped up that series, it became clear that there was a distinctively Christian way for us to be spiritual. And we are, of course, a church, a Christian church that places Jesus at the center of our lives. We look to Jesus's life and teachings to understand what it means for us to live out our spirituality in good ways. So today we're beginning a new series called Planting, Growing, and Nurturing. We're going to be taking a look at the parables of Jesus that use these images of growing and planting and seeds and agriculture. And we're going to be asking ourselves what Jesus is teaching about life in the kingdom of God through these parables. So I'm excited to get this kicked off today. I want to ask that you would join with me as usual in a word of prayer. Let's take a moment just to quiet ourselves, to center our hearts and our minds and come before God and ask God to be our teacher today. Would you join with me? God, we thank you again for this moment, wherever we might be, whatever state or city we might be in at this present moment. We know that you are uniting us together across this platform so that we can learn and fellowship together and be encouraged in our growth as people who are seeking to follow after you. Today, we ask that you would be with us as we embark on a new journey to look at some of your parables that would teach us what it means for us to live into the kingdom of God and what all of that means for our lives today. Pray that you'd be with us, that you'd open our hearts and minds to new possibilities, and that you'd bless us through these words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to begin our new teaching series in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, with one of Jesus' earliest parables. It's called the Parable of the Growing Seed. I want to begin just by reading these few passages to you. It's a very, very short parable. And it's one of the more familiar, familiar parables, rather, of, of Jesus' teaching, but oftentimes gets confused or conflated with the parable of the mustard seed. There are some obvious similarities, and we'll talk about that over the next two weeks. But today I want to begin by reading it first and then just sharing with you what I'm noticing about this parable and then invite you to share in the comments with each other what it is that you're noticing as well. Let's start it off in Mark chapter 4, rather, excuse me, Mark chapter 4. Verse 26 says this, he also said, he, of course, being Jesus, it's picking up on a narrative of Jesus teaching the crowds. Verse 26, it says, he also said, the kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day and the seed would sprout and grow and he does not know how. Verse 28, the earth produces of itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes out with his sickle because the harvest has come. Now, these little sayings of Jesus in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, especially 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke is where we find so many of Jesus's parables. They're these short little stories or illustrations that are meant to teach something essential about God or the kingdom of God or what it means to live a spiritual life under the rule and the reign of God. When we think about the kingdom, which is mentioned here in this first parable, that's language that's very unusual for us today. We most of us don't live in a kingdom. Most of us don't have a king or a queen, at least not here in the United States. And so that's very foreign language to us. We're much more sort of independent in our culture and in our society. And we tend to really resist language that uses these images of an authoritarian ruler. And there's good reason for that. And I think actually a lot of that is what's going on in this passage. So when we read this and you see that language or you hear that language of the kingdom of God, I know that there sometimes is this immediate resistance in us because it sounds weird, number one. And number two, we tend to want to resist against notions of a king or a kingdom. But instead, what I want to invite you to do is to really lean into that language rather than resisting it outright. Just interrogate the assumptions that you and I tend to make when we hear that language. Why is it that we resist? And how is that resistance in us to that language of an authoritarian ruler? Why does that provoke in us a kind of resistance? And what does Jesus have to say about that, if anything? And so I want to start out by just acknowledging that sort of discomfort, because the truth is, is that a great many of Jesus's parables are meant to illustrate something about what Jesus calls the kingdom of God, or in the book of Matthew, it tends to be referred to as the kingdom of heaven. So this is language that we're going to run into again and again over the next several weeks. And I want us to acknowledge the, the difficulty of that and the discomfort with that, but also encourage us to really lean into why it is that we're uncomfortable and maybe try to flush out a little bit more of the meaning in these passages. So this passage uses that phrase, the kingdom of God, right there in verse 26. So Jesus is saying that there is something about the kingdom, there's something about this rule of God or this reign of God that he is inviting people into. There's something about it that is like seed being cast on the ground. He says, the kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. I love that phrase, he does not know how. And I love the way that the language in this passage seems to insinuate a kind of restlessness maybe even a kind of frustration. Here we have somebody who has scattered seed on the ground, presumably so that this person and probably their extended household would have something to eat. And it says, verse 27, he would sleep and rise night and day and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. I remember many years ago when Janelle and I first moved here to Oceanside, California. We're from California, but we lived for many years out of state, first in Utah and then in Ohio. When we moved back here in 2008 to Oceanside, 
We rented a house here in Oceanside that had a really big backyard. And one of the things we were really excited about was we wanted to have a garden in our backyard. And so really for the first time in our lives, we planted a big garden, you know, tomatoes and lettuce and cucumbers, all the typical things that you would plant in a backyard garden. And it was amazing. It was like a miracle. Almost overnight, it seemed, everything that we planted just sort of exploded and grew up out of the ground. And I remember the first time we took a big, fat, ripe tomato and we sliced it and we sprinkled a little salt on it and we ate it. And I was like, good Lord, this is the best tomato I have ever had in my life. To this day, I can't believe how delicious tomatoes are when you grow them yourself compared to those sad tomatoes we buy in the grocery store. But that must have been beginner's luck because the very next year we tried to grow our garden and it just didn't go very well. And then a couple years later, we, we bought a house here in Oceanside. We were fortunate enough to, to get a house not too far from the one that we rented. And we were really excited to create a new garden in our new house, in our new backyard. And Boy, we struggled with that garden. It seemed like no matter what we did, no matter how much we tried to amend the soil or how much we watered or how much we covered the, the lettuce and gave them the shade that we thought we needed, we just really struggled with that garden. And so it feels like there's this, this sort of frustration in not being able to duplicate that success that we had the first few years in that original house. So when I read this passage and I read that this person cast seed and then rises and sleeps night and day, I, I can identify with that sense of anxiety and frustration because it's not going the way you think it should go. And I think that that's very much what our lives often tend to be like in this world. We oftentimes have our hopes, our desires, our dreams, our wishes. We pour ourselves into those things. We pour ourselves into our work. We pour ourselves into our children or into our family. We scrap and fight and battle every single day to get ahead just a little bit. And it seems like no matter how hard we try, we're just treading water and not making progress. And that is for a lot of people, a daily experience of frustration. So when Jesus tells this parable and he says, the kingdom of God is a little bit like this. It's like somebody who casts seed to grow something to live off of, something to subsist off of, and yet experiences frustration and anguish and pain because he does not know how those seeds grow I really hear in that the daily frustrations and struggles with life, whether it's literally trying to grow your food or figuratively trying to make our way in the world. And this is, of course, exactly why we desire a king and a kingdom. Because if we're honest with ourselves, I think we would admit that the notion of a kingdom, the notion of a king, represents real power. A king, of course, is somebody who is in charge of everything. And a, a kingdom is that king's realm. And whatever that realm is, however large that area of rulership is, the king gets what the king wants in that place. And I think there's this desperate desire in many of us, maybe all of us on some level, to yearn, to long for an all-powerful king 
who will take away our pain and suffering and snap their fingers and make everything right. And I think that's exactly the desire that is spoken of by this phrase, the kingdom of God. It reminds me of the Old Testament, the story of Samuel and how the people of Israel desired to have a king. And so God reluctantly lets them anoint a human king, but at the same time acknowledges that their desire is for something that isn't ultimately good. I think Jesus is actually trying to point out the same dynamic here. So even though Jesus uses this language of the kingdom of God, this language of power and authority and somebody who will come and fix all our problems and snap their fingers and make everything right, the truth is, is that if we look deeper into this story, we realize that even though Jesus is using the language of power and control, he's telling a story that overturns our notions of who a king is and what a king can or should do, especially when that king is God. Look with me a little bit further. We left off there in verse 27, right? We talked about the man sleeping and rising night and day and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. Verse 28, the earth produces itself. First the stalk, and then the head, and then the full grain in the head. Now, I love this imagery, this imagery of the, the seed sprouting and growing, and first the stalk rises strong, and then it develops into a head at the top of the stalk, and then eventually, of course, the fruit, the fruit that we harvest in order to make bread comes to full maturity, this image of development and growth is a very powerful image that we'll pick up on next week when we visit our next parable. But for today, I simply want to point out that what Jesus is doing is he's contrasting the frustration, the fear, the desire for control that the man exhibits in the first two verses, 26 and 27. He contrasts that with the work, the processes of the earth. Let's pick it up again at the end of verse 27. It says, He would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces itself. The earth produces itself. No matter how much this man rises and sleeps and is restless and tosses and turns and gets up day and night and tries to tend to the garden, no matter how much work no matter how much toil, no matter how much earning this farmer tries to put into this process of growing and harvesting food, the truth is that ultimately the work has to be done by the earth itself. The earth, the sun, and the rain will grow this seed. There's something built into the processes of nature that are beyond this farmer's control. And likewise, there is something built in to the processes of our lives that are also beyond our control. And here, I think, is the essential lesson of the parable that Jesus is trying to get across. 
No matter how much we might fear, no matter how frustrated we are with the course of our lives, no matter how much anxiety we have about where things are going or how things are going to turn out, it is our constant fretting and desire for control that tends to produce bad things in us. Jesus is saying that God's kingdom is not a kingdom of power and control. Instead, it's a kingdom that we must cooperate with and be patient with. In other words, and I know that this is a little bit of a cliche these days, but in other words, we must learn to let go of that desire to be in control. On some level, we have to realize that God is competent to grow good things in our lives. That God is at work in the very processes that feel frustrating and slow and anxiety-ridden in our lives. That in the midst of all of that pain and suffering, God is there at work by God's Spirit to sprout something good that will ultimately grow, that will ultimately sustain us, and feed us, not just spiritually, but literally as well. God is competent to be in control of our lives. This reminds me of a great quote uh, by Talard de Chardin, who was a Catholic priest and an anthropologist. One of my favorite things that he ever wrote is simply this, above all, trust in the slow work of God. And that is exactly what we see a picture of in this parable, the slow work of God to bring about the good things of God in our lives. Jesus is saying this is what the kingdom of God is like. I know that you have heard that kings are powerful, that they command armies, that they get whatever they want at a moment's notice, but God's kingdom is not like that, and God is not that kind of king. God is not a king that you can simply command and control at your beck and call, but rather God is a king that, like a seed that is planted in the soil, tends to work slowly to bring about good things. Our job is simply to cooperate with that process, to be engaged in that process, and to be patient with that process. That, of course, doesn't mean that we don't have any part to play in that process. In fact, the parable wraps it up in verse 29 and says this, But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. This is one of the beauties of this parable and several of Jesus' parables, is that it just beautifully demonstrates that the good work of God is different than we expect, but it does involve our cooperation. In other words, just because we're not in control completely of the outcome or the process involved, there is still effort involved in our part. There is still skill involved in the farmer tending to the seed, tending to the crops. In fact, that skill might better be called wisdom because good farmers recognize the seasons and the times. They understand the processes of the earth, the processes of weather. They understand the delicate needs of the plants and the balance required 
by the the soil that the plants grow in. They understand how to to manage pests that might come along and take those plants down. In other words, there's a great deal of work to do in cultivating and growing and nurturing good things in our lives. But there really is no place for us to be in direct control of those things. Because ultimately, when it comes to our spiritual lives, when it comes to our relationships with God, our relationships with each other, and the producing of good things in us, God is ultimately the one who is in control. God is the one commanding those processes. And those processes tend to move slowly. And that requires us to let go of the desire to be in control. That requires us to trust in the slow work of God. In other words, it requires us to have faith. And that's really what this parable is about. Having faith that God is at work even when God is not doing it the way that we would like God to do it. My prayer for us today is that we would learn to lean in to the processes of God in our life, that we would learn to sow good things, that we would learn to water those good things, that we would learn the times and the seasons so that we can harvest good fruit in our lives and in the lives of our relationships, but that overall we would have faith and trust in the process because God is competent to do it for our own good. Would you pray with me as we wrap it up today? God, we thank you again for today and this opportunity for us to gather around your words and your teaching. We pray today that as we enter into this new series where we visit your parables, we begin to try to integrate into our hearts and minds uh, the images and the lessons represented there. We ask that you would bring about a change in us, that we would become people who are able to lean into the goodness of your kingdom and to fully cooperate with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Hey, good morning. My name is CJ. Welcome to the online gathering here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. I have a few quick announcements here for you this morning before you take off. Uh, First of all, if you are new and you are watching online, no matter where you're watching from, we would love to meet you and connect with you. And you can simply go online to the oceansidesanctuary.org backslash contact portion of the website and someone from our team or one of our pastors will reach out to you. So we would love to meet you. First of all, our Justice Works team is meeting today after church from 12.15 to 1.15 p.m. Even if you're watching online this morning, we would love for you to come over to the church and be part of our Justice Works team. If you are ready to put your faith in action on local issues, our Justice Works team is committed to organizing for action on issues that matter to the poor, to the oppressed and to the marginalized right here in our community. Currently, our Justice Works team is working on three main areas. Number one, police reform, homelessness, and climate change. So we'd love for you to come out. We'd love for you to join the team today. It's happening at 12.15, right after church here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. Coming up on Thursday evening, July 22nd at 6.30 p.m., It is our call and response, which is a monthly scripture study that approaches scripture in a group 
dialogue, much like the call and response tradition found in sacred literature, liturgy, and music of all kinds. You can RSVP at the OceansideSanctuary.org backslash calendar to get the Zoom link for the call and response Thursday, July 22nd at 6.30 p.m. And for all of our junior high and high school kids, the week of service is coming up July 19th through the 23rd. And this is always an exciting time of the summer. The Oceanside Sanctuary Youth Group is partnering with the youth group at Pilgrim United Church of Christ in Carlsbad and Walker Chapel AME in Oceanside for a week of service to make a huge impact right here in our community. During the week of July 19th, we will have four fun, meaningful opportunities uh, like activism workshops, helping within the food pantry, a beach cleanup day, and one day of fun at a pool party. So you can RSVP by July 12th at the oceansidesanctuary.org backslash calendar. And then finally, our annual membership month is here and here is how to support our mission here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. Every year we have the annual membership month where we ask you to consider becoming or renewing your membership at the Oceanside Sanctuary by supporting our mission with your finances and or time and uh, by helping us continue to do important work by in spreading inclusive, inspiring and impactful form of Christianity right here in our community through the Oceanside Sanctuary. So this can happen in three easy steps. Number one, learn about membership if you'd like to become a member at the Oceanside Sanctuary. Number two, simply complete the pledge form. And number three, conveniently give online to the mission here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. Again, we only do this once a year and it's a huge part of making our mission a reality. For more information on the annual membership month, go to the oceansidesanctuary.org backslash membership portion of the website for more information. Great to see everybody online today. Thank you for watching. When you are ready, we are live and in person at the Oceanside Sanctuary in downtown Oceanside. So we'd love to see you live and in person. Have a great week, everybody.